You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Ah, see? I just had one of those days, just now, where I was about to say to you, Happy Wednesday, and what do you know, it's Thursday. Now, granted, as exciting as that is, the reason that probably happened is because I had to take Monday off because both of our cars broke down at the same time and I had to do about $1,100 in repairs. Still, considering that's all in the past, I'm kind of bordering on worth it. Because I I just fast-forwarded a day through my week. Which, as I've said in the past, it's a little bit depressing to be so excited about fast-forwarding your own life. But again, we're not worried about that right now. Happy thoughts. It's Thursday. Ideally, one of these days... We'll be retired, and we won't have to worry about what day of the week it is. And every day will be, oh, that's exciting. But for now, small victories. Anyways, I want to start off today with something that I uh, had started doing. And apparently, along the line somewhere, I just forgot that it was a thing. It was like, hey, this is a thing I want to start doing. It'll be fun. And then, um, I don't don't know what happened to that. But uh, I got a text message on the the old Packernet bat phone. Pack phone, pack phone, right? That works. I'd say that's going to be the new thing, but knowing me, by tomorrow I will forget. So, Anyways, it says, I don't know if you've already talked about it, but the 2011 season, Weeks 4, against the Broncos was a really good game. Oh, that's right. I used to do that as a thing. So that's what I want to start off with today. If you don't know what I'm talking about, or if you're newish to the show, what I had started doing through the offseason especially now that NFL Game Pass is free through this pandemic situation we're going through, I thought, why don't we highlight some fun games so while people have a little bit of free time, they can go on NFL Game Pass and go watch these really interesting games. And by interesting, I more or less mean awesome, because I am not going to be highlighting games that are horrible. Obviously, that I mean, you could pretty much just go through the whole 2011 season and just get very, very excited, obviously with the exception of the playoffs in that one random Kansas City Chiefs game, which is still frustrating because they almost had a perfect regular season. But 2011, number one in points, number three in yards, number one in passing touchdowns, second in interceptions in a positive sense, meaning despite the fact that he's throwing it all over the place, more yards than anybody, more touchdowns than anybody, still just about less interceptions than anybody, most yards per attempt per pass. Obviously, one of the worst running teams in football. But again, this is an entirely different offense. And without going down a rabbit hole, this is kind of... If you go and watch the 2011 season, it's kind of the embodiment of everything that I've been talking about in terms of Packer fans in general want to get back to 2011. And the idea is we need to... If we're going to succeed, we need to replicate this. Number three in passing yards, number one in passing touchdowns, number one in net yards per attempt passing... 26th in rushing attempts, 27th in rushing yards, 26th in yards per attempt. Not that fans want that, but I'm just saying that's that's our idea of it. And I'm sure when, when we were successful under Favre, it was similar. This is what being a really good Green Bay Packers team mean. We're also 32nd in passing yards, 
defensively. So despite the fact that there were glimmers of a good defense, I mean, just the year before, this team had no ability to stop the pass whatsoever. But again, this is what we want to get back to. And uh, I think we just need to embrace going in a different direction. We'll get into that even more, because obviously we haven't talked about that enough at another time. But for today, to start off, again, I want to highlight week four. And if you want to watch something that's just just kind of silly, because this is actually something that I would love to be able to get back to, not necessarily this style, and maybe it's going to be harder with the style of football that we're playing, although the 49ers pulled it off against the Packers. But the good old days, when the Packers, on occasion, didn't just beat teams, they embarrassed teams. And so I want to kind of just run through the play-by-play just for fun. We'll just we'll just live it together, and then if you want to actually go watch it, by all means, if you got some time, go do it. So it does actually kind of start off a little bit slow. There, it's not until the end of the first in which the floodgates completely open, but at which point they absolutely do. Denver gets the ball first, three and out, nothing. Packers then get the ball. The, the one interesting thing about it, if you look at it, just again to kind of demonstrate what kind of a team this was, here is the essentially what the Packers did. Pass to James, or uh, run by James Starks, pass to Greg Jennings, pass to Jordy Nelson, pass to Jermichael Finley, pass to Donald Driver. The distribution, as I've said before, there was a reason why even in 2011, outside of uh, Aaron Rodgers, you never touched anybody on the Green Bay Packers team, including defense, special, well, maybe Mason Crosby. You never touched anybody for fantasy football. As good as Jordy Nelson was, you just couldn't really trust it because there were so many guys. The ball got spread out so much that you never really had, again, despite how good some of these guys really were, None of them ever statistically were at the top of the league. But ultimately what ended up happening, despite being a very good drive from the Green Bay 31 all the way down to the Denver 12, it ended up being fourth and one. They tried to go for it. For some reason, felt that James Starks would be able to pick up that yard. He ended up losing a yard. Shocker. Anyways, Denver mounts a pretty good drive all the way from their own 13-yard line down to the Green Bay 9, kicks a field goal. Denver's up 3 nothing. Not a super great start. But as I said floodgates are about to open so from there it's second and nine after Aaron Rodgers scrambles for a yard completed pass to Donald Driver for five pass to John Kuhn we'll add him now to the list for five yards James Starks runs for two to get the first down James Starks runs for 16 a very rare more than five yard run from James Starks and then a 50 yard pass to Jordy Nelson for a touchdown Denver's like all right man I'm gonna play that game I guess we're gonna go uh tit for tat here Willis McGahee runs for five. Willis McGahee runs for one. Kyle Orton throws a pick to Charles Woodson, who returns it for a touchdown. 14-3 to three Packers. <laughs> this is where it gets silly. This is where you know that the Packers are just, just kind of ridiculous. Following that touchdown, with 50 seconds left in the first quarter, Mason Crosby kicked an onside kick recovered by Jordy Nelson. Aaron Rodgers throws incomplete to Jermichael Finley, 0 for 2. By the way, can we pause here? Packer fans need to stop saying Jermichael Finley was a good tight end. I'm not trying to necessarily be mean to the guy, but I very distinctly remember what happened when we had Jermichael Finley. Every single year, the narrative was, this is the year he's going to blow up, and he never did. The guy was famous for potential and drops. Those are the two things he was famous for. Anyways, hits Jordy, hits Jermichael, throws to James Starks, then he adds Randall Cobb for 14 yards, Add him to the list. Then Aaron Rodgers scrambles for 11-yard touchdown. 12 minutes left in the second. 
Thanks to an onside kick and a pick six, it is now 21-3. At the end of the first, it was 3-0. It's already 21-3 at the beginning of the second. Denver did come back and get a touchdown. Brandon Lloyd just had a freakishly good couple series here, 18-yard and a 44-yard reception. Set him up for an Eric Decker touchdown, whatever, not worried about it. Although it does start to get a little scary, and this is this is the other thing that stinks about having such a bad defense, which is weird to say because you got Sam Shields, Morgan Burnett, Charles Woodson, but again, basically dead last in passing defense. But the thing that's scary is when the other team starts to mount a comeback and the offense, as it does here, goes three and out and then you punt and then the Broncos come back and get another touchdown it's scary because as dominant as the offense is you know you can't stop the other team that was another hallmark of the Green Bay Packers team the offense was just ridiculous and nobody could really stop the offense I'm not talking about on a particular drive like they did here it can happen I mean it's you only get three tries and if you run the ball on occasion and you know you can't get anywhere with that. It's really just one incompletion can throw the whole thing off. I mean, if you pass for three yards and run for no yard, and you throw that one incompletion, now you got to punt. But there was never really a team that could just shut down the offense. But that wasn't really the point. There were you, you, The offense had to stay ahead of the other team's offense or you were going to lose. And so after this particular three and out, Denver comes back again, drives down the field, and gets a touchdown. So now, again, despite the, you know the offense is going to be really good, it's a little bit scary because now it's 17-21. to 21. So now with three minutes left in these, well, first half, the momentum clearly in the Denver Broncos' favor, they decided to take the ball out of James Stark's hands and put it into Aaron Rodgers' hands. The drive looks a little something like this. Pass to Jennings, a rush by Starks for two yards. Aaron Rodgers runs for a yard. Rodgers runs again. Rodgers to Jennings. Rodgers to Starks, Rodgers to Jones, Rodgers to Jordy, Rodgers to Starks, Rodgers to Greg Jennings for a touchdown. And again, talking about the difference, and, and, and again, also why Packer fans and also the national media have such a hard time with this direction. Again, the idea is we don't want to have to do this. We don't want to have to look at it and say, well, our defense can't do anything and Starks can't run the ball, so Rodgers, you're going to have to throw every single play. And there were, there were several rushes because... If there's nothing there, we expect you to take off and run and pick up some yard. This was the, the prototypical Aaron Rodgers putting the team on his back, and he did it. I mean, we had wide receiver weapons, and we had a great offensive line, but ultimately it was all on Rodgers. There was no run game. There was no defense. There was nothing. And when things got out of hand, we even just stopped running the ball. Like, look, that's getting us behind. Again, you get three tries. If you assume one of them potentially is going to be an incomplete pass, why are you wasting another one of your tries on a rush? That one-yard gain is not going to help you. So again, on this entire series, there was one run by James Starks for two yards. Whoop-dee-doo. Otherwise, it was literally all Aaron Rodgers, starting at the Green Bay 20, getting all the way down with 27 seconds left on the clock, hits Greg Jennings for a 17-yard touchdown. Then in the third, the Green Bay Packers start with the ball. Again, almost all Aaron Rodgers. They start on the 20-yard line again, pass to Jermichael Finley, pass to Jordy Nelson, and then a sack. Incomplete to Jermichael Finley shocker. Now it's third and 13. What are we going to do? Rodgers hits James Jones for 18. Well, we haven't run the ball in a while. James, you're up, buddy. First and 10. Let's see what you can do. James Starks runs for no yards. All right. Thanks, bud. Anyways, Rodgers, second and 10, pass to Jermichael Finley for three. And again, now we're in third and seven. Why? Because as I said, when you run the ball and you get nothing, and then you throw for short, you essentially are not allowing any room for error for your quarterback. 
And on this instance, it was actually an incomplete pass to Greg Jennings, but there was a penalty, so we ended up getting the first down anyway. But this is why the team was so, you know, Mike McCarthy and the Packers in general just didn't really like to run the ball. You didn't want to make yourself one-dimensional, but at the same time, who cares? They can't stop it. So then you got first and 10 from the Denver 21. Uh, Rodgers hits Jordy for nine. It's second and one. Let's see what Starks can do. Of course, no gain. Now on third and one, we switch it up. We let John Kuhn do it. He gets three yards. Rodgers runs for one. Rodgers again takes off and runs and gets an eight-yard touchdown. So now it's 17 to 35. Now is a point when, as Packer fans, we can kind of just sink into our chairs a little bit and feel good. Even if they mount a little bit of a comeback, I don't think they're going to come back to this. I mean, they would have to surpass 35 points and the Packers can't score anymore. It just seems pretty unlikely. We're getting toward the end of the third quarter. Feeling pretty good. The Denver Broncos do a decent job trying to come back. Again, they got Kyle Orton, so I mean, how scared are you really? But again, the Packers defense is the Packers defense. They go all the way from the 34 down to the Green Bay 26. From the 26-yard line, Kyle Orton throws a 22-yard pass to Daniel Fells. However, Desmond Bishop forces a fumble, which is recovered by Morgan Burnett, Packers ball. So if the game wasn't over before, at this point, it's basically over. Four minutes left in the third, down by, jeez, a lot. And so now Denver pretty much is, is do-or-die territory. we got to get the ball back, we got to score. How do the Packers handle that? Well, it starts off a little rocky. One-yard run from Rodgers. Penalty on Scott Wells, so now it's second and 16. Broncos are feeling a little bit good. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the comeback. Aaron Rodgers throws 61 yards to Randall Cobb. He then hits Starks for nine yards. Starks runs for six yards. And then Rodgers hits James Jones for a 16-yard touchdown. One minute left in the third. The score is 42-17. to Denver at this point completely deflated. On their first drive, third and six, sacked by Desmond Bishop. Give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers. The Packers with basically the entire fourth quarter to work with. Typically, you would want to just bleed the clock at this point. How do the Packers deal with this? Aaron Rodgers to James Starks. Aaron Rodgers runs for five. Aaron Rodgers pass to Donald Driver. Aaron Rodgers pass to Greg Jennings. Aaron Rodgers pass incomplete. Aaron Rodgers pass incomplete short middle intended for James Jones and ended up getting intercepted. <laughs> I mean, you're up by that much. I'm not saying I disagree, but it's it's just, again, it's funny to remember. And And listen, this is not a good thing. It's almost a little bit frustrating because we talk about all those times we talk about not getting Aaron Rodgers help. And I don't think we look at 2011 as a time when Rodgers didn't have help. We think this, this is a time when Aaron Rodgers had all the help a guy could ever want. Who cares about running the ball? Who cares about defense? Who cares about any of that stuff? He had four wide receivers that were uh, really talented. What else does a guy need? Come on, man. When you're up by 75 points and it's the fourth quarter and you pass one, two, three, four, five, six times in a row, and it ends up getting picked off, come on. You don't even bother to give the ball to James Starks? Now, the funny thing is, Kyle Orton's first pass gets picked off by Sam Shields. <laughs> they got returned uh, 60 yards, so they start in Denver territory, and then they say, all right, James Starks, you're up. Now they're going to try to bleed the clock a little. Starks actually does rip off a 22-yard gain. First and 10 from the Denver 23. Starks runs for three, and then they're like, all right, Aaron, come on. Let's have a little fun. First pass is incomplete. Second pass to Greg Jennings for seven yards. First and ten. Starks runs for five. Rodgers throws to Jennings for no gain. And then third and five from the Denver eight. Rodgers hits Donald Driver for an eight-yard touchdown because why not? That brings the score 17-49. to Long story shorter, Denver does actually end up getting one more touchdown to bring it to 23-49. Packers pulled their starters for this last drive. Alex Green starts running the ball. It's Alex Green and Matt Flynn trying to burn this out. 
They go three and out, give the ball back to Denver. Denver goes three and out, and then the Packers kneel it out. So, again, fun little game if you're looking for something to do to go watch. Um, don't don't get too excited from the state. Because I, I could see some people looking at it and, again, saying, see, look at all the help Rodgers had. What a, what a disaster. What a catastrophe. Look, this might be a catastrophe. The direction we're going may be a catastrophe, but it is the direction we're going. And, again, we got to stop acting surprised. The days of get Rodgers four receivers, no running back help, no defense, and hope Aaron Rodgers can just distribute the ball all over the yard, those days are over. I mean, just in general, those days. What what team is doing that right now? The Chiefs, maybe? The Saints aren't really doing that. The Saints didn't even really do much of anything until they improved their defense. Not that it's an elite defense, but they've got a defense. They changed up their scheme to get the ball out of Breeze's hand faster. they got guys like Kamara. They're throwing out of the backfield. They've got, I mean, they, they got gadget plays galore. they got a quarterback that comes in and does stuff. They're very scheme-dependent and also improve their defense by a lot. The Patriots obviously have never been that team, despite Tom Brady being a somewhat talented quarterback. Yes, I said somewhat. He's never been a guy that just carries his football team. They run the ball effectively. They have a fantastic scheme in which his subpar receivers are always wide open, and they have a top 10 defense every year. This was fun while it lasted. And again, go watch it. It's fun. But don't watch it and reminisce and say, well, gee, I wish we could go back to that. I, I just, I really don't. I enjoyed it, but it's it's so, it feels like you're living in a really nice house with no foundation. It's just kind of scary. It's just waiting to collapse in on itself. And look, there's a reason why you can have a team that's so talented that struggles to actually win Super Bowls. Aside from the aspect of it's just kind of hard to win Super Bowls and not a lot of teams can win multiple, even as good as they are. But when everything is predicated on your quarterback essentially being perfect, it's not really a winning strategy. And it is at least worth talking about. Maybe those days we look back on fondly and say those are that's what we need to get back to of giving Rodgers that many weapons. Maybe those are the times when we weren't helping Rodgers enough. What could have been if Rodgers had a... a, a a team that ran the ball effectively. What could have been if Rodgers had a top 10 defense, which is what we had when we won the Super Bowl? And that also brings up the point that it's hard to give Rodgers, we, we phrase it as give Rodgers, but really it's just building a team that is capable of winning Super Bowls. But it's hard to say, well, we're not going to win unless he has weapons. Also, we need to be able to run the ball. Also, we need to have a great defense on top of having one of the best quarterbacks in football. I mean, come on, how can you put that on a GM? At some point, you start to sound like a really spoiled fan base, right? I mean, back when we had Rodgers and Jennings and all these wide receivers, and I guess kind of Finley a little bit, and this great offensive line from tackle to tackle, but oh, you can't also have a great running back and great pass rushers and great corners and great say like, ugh, seriously. And now we, we in one year, Brian Gutekunst has basically transformed the defense and we have Rodgers, and we have Devontae, and we still have a really good offensive line, and we have a really good running back, but oh, uh, we don't have a great number two wide receiver. Gutekunst is the worst. Oh, my life. Just kill me now. I mean, come on. I'll, uh, do, do we feel a little bit bad? Why can't we have good corners and good pass rushers and good safeties and good tackles and a good guard and a good center and a great number one and a great quarterback and a great running back and a good number two and a linebacker. Why can't we be great everywhere? Gutekunst is the worst. Yes, I know that voice is annoying. So are you. I, I get it. But really just think about that for a second. Do I really have to pull up every single team and point out all the flaws they have? 
Outside of the Saints, who pretty well have decent players everywhere, it's very rare to find a team that's pretty well stacked in all positions. And they're not even stacked. They just don't have garbage anywhere. And really, the Packers don't either, outside of maybe linebacker, unless Kirksey has a good year. Funchess isn't garbage. Wagner isn't garbage. He's not as good as Balaga. And yeah, Funchess isn't as good as, I don't know, A.J. Green or whatever fantasy we can build up in our minds. But our defensive line isn't garbage. Tyler Lancaster is not that bad, especially as a number three, Dean Lowry and Kenny Clark. I mean, we could use a little help, but let's keep a little bit of perspective. In terms of talent, there are defensive lines that don't have anybody. I mean, again, you can pick any team you want. Look at the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens are a phenomenal team, largely because of Lamar Jackson and these great tight ends. But depending on how good of a running back Dobbins becomes, we have better running backs. We have a better offensive line. We have better wide receivers. We have better pass rushers. They do have a probably better safety in Earl Thomas, but Earl Thomas was good, not great last year. They probably have better corners. They do have Calais Campbell, depending on how much tread he has left. But again, they've got holes all over the place. They need wide receiver more than we do. And their starting wide receivers are Hollywood Brown, who is okay, 42nd out of 122 wide receivers. They have Miles Boykin, and they have Willie Sneed. That's a terrible group of wide receivers. Well, they got Devin DuVernay. Right. So this is a team that's on the cusp of the Super Bowl, similar to the Packers. This is a team that could use some wide receiver weapons for their talented quarterback. And their solution is Devin DuVernay. I like DuVernay. This guy is not going to revolutionize football. And by the way, J.K. Dobbins, as much as you might like him, Mark Ingram was doing a pretty solid job. I mean, across the board, great blocker, great receiver, great running back. How much does that, I mean, again, how is that much different than what we have? They already got a running back. He's doing a great job. And they got another one. I mean, geez, as I'm scrolling through these teams, it's just, I'm trying to find great teams to give an example, and it's just terrible. The Cardinals, the Falcons, the Bills, the Packers. I don't even need to explain why these teams are worse than the Packers. You know. Should we look at the Bears? I'm not saying you're wrong. Maybe you're right that we should have gotten a wide receiver. But even that, can, can we just, you know, I was listening to something yesterday. And, you know, the question was posed, what grade do you give the Green Bay Packers? And I thought, what would I say if I was asked that question? I don't, you can't, you can't give an answer. And I understand that's kind of a cop-out, like, oh, of course you can. You really can't. Think about it in terms of Jordan Love. Let's say four years from now. Four years from now, Jordan Love has come in. He has established himself as the the starting quarterback to the extent, not, not necessarily judging based on how much how good he is compared to Aaron Rodgers. But let's say we are comfortable with where this team is headed. He is a perfect fit for the scheme. And Packer fans, as a general rule, have no thoughts or feelings of we need to replace this guy. Comfortable with this guy can help us. He, he can win us a Super Bowl. No question. Is there one person on planet Earth that looks back on that draft pick and says, yeah, but we should have got Denzel Mims. I still wish we'd have got Denzel Nobody says that. That would be. Think about how absurd that would be, if the Packers j- legitimately got the next great quarterback. Every single person who knocked that pick is going to look like a complete moron. And on the flip side, if it doesn't pan out, then you can kind of judge it for what it is. It was an opportunity to help the team to win now that you did not take, that you should have taken, because you misevaluated a quarterback. But how, how do you judge that? This is either a terrible draft or Gutekunst's best draft of all time. 
Because the defining draft for the past GMs that we've had have been the quarterbacks that they took to lead the franchise. We didn't draft Brett Favre, but it was the acquisition of Brett Favre that Ron Wolf has made a name for himself with. That, that's what started everything. The resurgence of the Green Bay Packers. The fact that Ron Wolf will always be viewed as a great GM started with his acquisition of Brett Favre. He did several things after that, but that was the defining moment of his career. If he misses on that, he's done. The same is true for Ted Thompson. That was a defining moment for him. Now, how garbage of would people view him of how much would people view him as a garbage GM if they took Aaron Rodgers at the twilight of Brett Favre's career if Aaron Rodgers was a terrible quarterback? I I can't grade it because it's entirely dependent on how good Jordan Love is in the future. Because, look, even here's the other way to look at it. Even if I try to judge it based on everybody else, if he hits on three of these players, let's say we get one offensive lineman, a tight end, and a running back, and Jordan Love doesn't pan it, well, I guess in that case it's still considered a pretty good draft even if you miss on Jordan Love. It'll be disappointing, but that would still be solid. But on the flip side, if he misses on everybody, which is possible, if A.J. Dillon is not very good, DeGuaro is not very good, none of the offensive linemen pan out, Kamal Martin is not a good linebacker, but again, Jordan Love is the quarterback of the future, There's, you still are going to look back on this draft as a profitable draft. If he is, a in, in three years, a top 10 quarterback, you cannot look back on this draft and say it was a bad draft. Because the value that we got from this draft, despite, you know, you could still criticize a guy for missing on that many picks, but the value the Packers will have gotten from this draft is more than just about anybody else, depending on who else got a franchise quarterback in this draft. But there's no greater value than that. I promise you, Jerry Judy will not bring more value to a team than a top 10 quarterback. So once again, we're here and I don't know how we got here. But, you know, the the, the point is, it's really, it's it's fine to say I would have gone in a different direction. But we cannot define how good or bad this draft was until we see whether or not... And there's two things at play here. There's the individual aspect of evaluating individual talent. Is Jordan Love a good player? Is A.J. Dillon a good player? Is Josiah DeGuara a good player? Then there is the bigger, more macro version of this, which is, are we going in the right direction? We are shifting our entire offensive philosophy with this new head coach. If Matt LaFleur is not able to deliver on this vision... That is a catastrophic situation. I mean, it's kind of similar to what's going on with Petten, to where we've got the pieces, we need you to execute. That's not as devastating if if Petten can't and we have to go out and get a new defensive coordinator. But if we completely shift, again, at the end of Aaron Rodgers' career, we shift our philosophy of how we play offense with a new head coach and it doesn't work, we're in a lot of trouble. But that's, that's the evaluation portion of this and we don't have an answer to that. But what do we know? And this is where Packer fans need to start, you know, complain a little less and be a little bit more grateful. We know that last year was a massive transformation of the defense and that the defense took a giant step forward as much as it was flawed at times. And I say at times because as much as we talk about how terrible we were against the run, it was kind of dependent on who we were playing. Go watch the Vikings games and tell me the Packers can't stop the run. It's, it's a flawed defense, but it's pretty solid. They need to work on some stuff, but even that is not, as I've said, it's not entirely a matter of a lack of talent. The talent is there, the execution wasn't necessarily there, and as I've also said, a lot of that is cerebral. A lot of that was just the getting outsmarted, not being where you need to be, not doing what you need to do, overthinking, underthinking, and kind of just getting embarrassed. But the talent is there. Again, I think if you get a team that just wants to bully you, 
the Packers will do all right. But if you get a team that is that is very scheme heavy and very well versed in that, such as the 49ers, such as the Eagles, the Packers struggled with that. And so I do have some faith that through spending more time in the system, again, Zadarius's first year, Preston's first year, Savage's first year, of the guys that were not first-year players, they're only second-year players. Nobody even has three years in this entire system. But that's one of the things we know. Massive transformation of the defense, thanks to Brian Gutekunst, not only finding key pieces in the draft, but also doing a fantastic job in free agency of acquiring great players. We know that despite the the verdict is still out on this offensive scheme and Matt LaFleur, we know that Matt LaFleur in his first year, despite not having the pieces he needed, despite everything being kind of clunky and not coming together the way that Matt LaFleur wants it to, was still able to build a team that won 13 games and got to the NFC Championship in his first year, which, as I've said several times, is essentially a historic event. Very, very rarely does something like that ever happen where a team with a losing record goes 13-3 and and gets it to the NFC Championship game. And if nothing else, and I have no real reason to believe that he's not able to build out this scheme, if there's any coach, not already a head coach, that's able to put together this Shanahan scheme and make it work and understand the pieces we need to make it work, it's going to be Matt LaFleur. And by the way, our quarterback is Aaron Rodgers, who I'm sure is going to be able to navigate this thing. If we can get Jared Goff to make this thing work, I think we can get Aaron Rodgers to make it work. Also, something else we know is that there was a lot of speculation about how terrible the locker room was going to be in Aaron Rodgers' relationship with Matt LaFleur. And I'm sure that's going to flare back up because they got a quarterback, so Aaron Rodgers is going to be mad, blah, blah, blah. The fact of the matter is a big part of the reason we won 13 games is because of how good the locker room was under Matt LaFleur. Again, the team won a lot of these games because they refused to quit. They played four quarters. How many times did this this team win because on a critical third down or fourth down in the fourth quarter, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, whoever, came up with a big sack at the end of the game? Big plays at the end of the game by the offense, by the defense, by the running backs, by the by the all every different position, every side of the ball, everybody. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, Alan Lazard, Geronimo Allison, Jimmy Graham. Different guys all across this team never felt like they were out of it. Despite sometimes not never even being in rhythm and never really getting off to feeling like things are working. That's why so many of these games were ugly. And as much as we look at that and say, well, that's a negative, it is. But the 20, you know... 2018 Green Bay Packers, when things aren't working, they quit. And those games were losses. In 2019, the team didn't quit and ended up winning the game. And again, you keep the locker room the way it is. You build up the defense a little bit more, which is already a good defense. We forget that. It wasn't great. It could be better. Sometimes it looked terrible, but sometimes it looked great. Plenty of talent. And then you focus on making the offense work the way it's supposed to. Every reason for optimism. Yeah, things can go bad, of course, and and, and the, the verdict is still out on Lafleur and, and Gutekunst. Nothing wrong with, with trying to assess and say that they're, you know, the, the, the verdict is still out. I mean, still it's still out on Patton. But I think the, the, the biggest and most absurd thing is that thus far we see how good it's been under Gutekunst, Patton, and Lafleur, the progress that's been made, and then say that none of that counts because this offseason was so bad, despite the fact that we have no idea how good the offseason was. We can think it, but we shouldn't think it too strongly. We can think that this probably won't work out, but I want to at least trust the guys that brought us this far to be able to evaluate what this team needs and go out and get it, right? I didn't understand Zadarius and Preston. You know, Zadarius essentially had a breakout year in which his 
It was his best year, and he was good. Never anticipated him being this good. Again, I, as I've said, I, I would be surprised if Gutekunst thought he would ever be this good. One of the best pass rushers in football, and Gutekunst evaluated that from, from him not being the best pass rusher in football, being basically a backup for the Baltimore Ravens, to be able to see that and pay him like a top-tier pass rusher. That was the scary part. I mean, I get that he's good, but $17 million, are you kidding me? For this backup that's good, not great? What are you doing? Comes over here and is arguably the best pass rusher in all of football. Has has a year. As I've said, it, it, it's underrate, uh, underrated and understated how good Zadarius was. When you look at percentage of snaps that he was able to get to the quarterback, it is years that very few players ever have. As, as I said, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think Khalil Mack maybe once in his entire career has had as good of a year in terms of total pressures or, or pressure rate percentage. One year ever. Gutekunst did that. Was it was it the Seahawks that we sealed with the Preston Smith sack? Gutekunst did that. And by the way, we still got second-year guys that we, that might turn a corner. Jace might have a big role in this offense. Darnell Savage, I think, has a really high ceiling. Let's see what he can do. Elton Jenkins, I think, can grow quite a bit. People were really impressed with him in his first year. But I think it might have been a little bit overstated because he did struggle a little bit. I mean, we all highlighted his highlights. But the point is, I, I, I think that we saw a guy that was thrust into a position right away and didn't struggle. I mean, he did struggle, but it wasn't like he's he's a terrible rookie. As far as rookies go, he had a great... I mean, he could be a great offensive lineman. Rashawn Gary. A lot of people have already given up. I think that's silly. We have one of the most... And this is Mike Smith. He might be the most talented pass-rushing coach in all of football. I think it might be understated, first of all, how good he is. Second of all, the the growth of Zadaria. To be as good as he is, I, I think we underestimate how much of that may have been from Mike Smith. By the way, Preston Smith. Now, he struggled toward the end of the year, but he even out, out exceeded expectations being as good as he was. So we've got a guy that is an absolute physical freak. You know, you talk about Feldman's freak list. Rashawn Gary was number one. He's been a physical freak his whole life. His ability to move that much weight that quickly is something no human being should be able to do. The fact that Rashawn Gary is as athletically gifted as he is, working with Mike Smith, learning from Zedarius and Preston. I'm just saying, man, the potential is there. Add in DeGuara. Add in A.J. Dillon to transform this offense to running the ball more, getting more play action in these quick passes out of Aaron Rodgers' hands quickly. He gets his his completion percentage up through the roof. And then we start hitting these deeper shots, the, the, the plays that we're not getting anymore. Because Aaron Rodgers drops back so much and tries to launch it down the field so much and players don't really respect, I mean, I shouldn't say they don't respect our ability to run the ball, but I think Aaron Jones and Jamal, the, the Packers in general, had stacked boxes about 20% of the time. You look at the San Francisco 49ers and Tevin Coleman, you know how many times they had a stacked box? 40% of the time. You look at uh, Minnesota, Dalvin Cook was 24%, Alexander Madison 34%, Raheem Mostert in San Francisco 32%. Derrick Henry, 35%. The Packers are at 20. Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams both. As much as we talk about Aaron Jones being as good as he is, and he is, and you know the talk about Aaron Rodgers' decline and all that, it is hard. It's hard when you start from the idea that we want to attack down the field. Right Again, I talk about 2018 when they would we'd lose a game and they'd come to the podium and talk about we need more big plays, we need more big plays, we need more big plays. Teams know that they want big plays, so what do they do? They drop back and try to throw it down the field, and the defense knows that. And so they're defending that. But you start grinding on the ground. 
you have Aaron Jones doing what Aaron Jones does and scaring teams to the extent that we're scaring teams. But then you also bring in a guy that's running the ball 15, 20 times a game on top of Aaron Jones and just grinding. And if A.J. Dillon can be you know, halfway as good as, as we hope in terms of his ability to get four and a half yards per carry, on top of Aaron Jones getting his five yards per carry, this is a lethal combination where we're running the ball 25 times a game and picking up four and a half to five yards per carry. And if you don't adjust, if you don't come up and try to stop it, we'll do this all day. This isn't like the days of James Starks where we do it once on first down just to try to keep you honest, although you don't really care. And even with, you know, basically playing dime defense, you can still stop us for one yard. Not going to happen. All I'm saying is there's reason for optimism and there's reason to be excited. Anyways, I'm, I'm just about out of time, so we, why don't we take a break and then I want to address just a couple quick questions and then we'll get out of here. So I had a couple what about questions. The first being what about Curtis Bolton? Curtis Bolden is another guy who was kind of a preseason hero. Right? Guys loved Ty Summers. People were real excited about him. And then also another guy that was doing pretty good things was Curtis Bolton. And a lot of people were excited about him possibly having a role on the defense. Now, my thought on Curtis Bolton is actually relatively similar to what it is of Kamal Martin. I don't think very highly of Curtis Bolton. I think he's, a, you know, I, again, I think it was just an overblown thing by fans. I think it's one thing to look good on a couple plays in preseason and have your name come up several times in training camp, and it's an entirely different thing to be a consistent contributor in the regular season. However, considering the situation we're in, considering I don't know what Ty Summers brings, what Oren Burks brings, what Kamal Martin brings, what Frankie Griffin brings or Chris Barnes brings, other undrafted free agents, which we still have to do an undrafted free agent episode. I have not done that yet. Considering I have no idea who our number two linebacker is right now, and also what happens if Christian Kirksey does get hurt again, who are our linebackers? I don't know that Curtis Bolton doesn't get a job. I don't know that Curtis Bolton doesn't become the number two linebacker. I don't think that's what the Packers want. I think the Packers drafted Kamal Martin with the expectation that he's going to step in and be a contributor. I know he's a later round pick, but he's competing with a seventh-round pick and a bunch of undrafted free agents. Also, Oren Burks, which I guess I should say that Oren Burks is going to get first look. All right, there's no question it's Oren and Christian Kirksey, but it's also Oren Burks is kind of on the on the block, the chopping block, that is, not the, the trade block. The point is he's got to show that he's going to take a step this year or it's time to move on because, as I've said, Oren Burks has consistently been one of the worst linebackers in all of football. So Oren gets first look, Christian Kirksey almost gets the job by default just because of the amount of money, which isn't that much, but I mean, look, if we had drafted maybe Patrick Queen or something, Christian Kirksey might be a backup. In this situation, Oren Burks, Curtis Bolton, Ty Summers, and and the rest of them, I just, you know, Kirksey's got it. Oren Burks is going to start with the one, and and that'll be one of those things that's probably going to surprise people because everybody just looks at it and says, here's the guy that I think is the best, so I expect him to be the guy. And then they're going to see Oren Burks out there getting, you know, number one or number two reps. And they're going to go, Oren Burks, why? Because he was a third-round pick and because he's close to being off the team. And they want to push Oren Burks to be the guy that they, they took him in the third round because he has a skill set that the rest of these guys don't. It's just a matter of we want him to be able to be the guy that he we believe he can be. And we want to give him every opportunity to be able to be that guy. So he's going to get the first look next to Christian Kirksey. But that doesn't mean he's going to start. That doesn't even mean he makes the team. It just means they're going to start with him, and if he just proves that he cannot be the guy, he has not taken a step, he can get passed very quickly. The question is by who, though? The guy next is probably going to be Kamal Martin. 
even though Bolton and Summers have been around for a while, and maybe they would go the route of letting them early on come out first because Kamal Martin is new and they've been here for a year, but they're still going to be pushing Kamal Martin. But again, that doesn't mean he's going to be successful. He might be garbage, in which case Curtis Bolton could end up being the guy, and if Christian Kirksey gets hurt, there's no saying whether Curtis Bolton isn't our starting linebacker. So it's possible, but it's not possible from the standpoint of I believe he can be a really, really good linebacker in the NFL. It's possible from a standpoint of I'm looking at a pile of just, oh, that's it. And I know as far as other Packers podcasters and bloggers and everything else, I'm probably the lowest on Christian Kirksey of everybody. But I still think compared to everybody else, he's by far our best linebacker. And he's the one guy that you can say does have the skill set to be a starting linebacker in the NFL. He has been a starting linebacker in the NFL. He has been successful, despite being bad more often than good. Nobody else has proven anything, including Curtis Bolton. So I guess that's my answer. It's entirely possible that he steps up, has a role. But I think if he does, it's just an indication of how bad things have gotten, that Oren Burks did not take a step. Kamal Martin has not stepped up to be anything that we would hope that he could possibly become. And Curtis Bolton wins by default. However, it's also entirely possible the guy doesn't even make the team. In fact, I would say that is the most likely because you figure, depending on how much time they want to give Oren Burks, Christian Kirksey isn't going anywhere. Oren Burks, they're going to want to keep around if there's even a glimmer of hope. Kamal Martin obviously isn't going anywhere. And as far as undrafted free agents, you want to give the other two inside linebacker undrafted free agents an opportunity over Curtis Bolton because we don't know what the other guys can bring. So Bolton is almost, in my opinion, bottom of the barrel. He has to prove more than anybody that he really has the ability to do something. He has to actually be better than a lot of these other guys for them to consider keeping him around. Uh, The other what about that I got was a question about what about Josh Jackson. I talked about uh, the slot guy and who could possibly play in the slot, and I I think I just kind of blanked on Josh Jackson. I had talked about him in the past as being the guy that's probably going to get the first look. In fact, I don't even think that that's really debatable. I believe right now it is Jair Alexander, Kevin King with Josh Jackson in the slot. They have been pushing Josh Jackson in the slot consistently. I've said all along I don't necessarily agree with that assessment, but Mike Pettin is smarter than I am, so we'll just defer to him. And based on usage, I think that is the the way it's going to start out. However, this is also an evaluation of Josh Jackson. They're going to expect him to take a step. And as again, as good as Chandon Sullivan was, I, I, I generally dis and, and this is why I think guys like Oren Burks are going to get the starting job. It is basically theirs to lose. This is just how teams operate, especially the Green Bay Packers. Chandon Sullivan, I believe, already is a better football player than Josh Jackson. But Josh Jackson was taken in the second round and has a higher ceiling. So the Green Bay Packers are going to push him into that spot until it becomes impossible for them to not start Chandon Sullivan over Josh Jackson. Chandon Sullivan has to be better than Josh Jackson and consistently better than Josh Jackson before they will even consider putting him in that spot. And that to me is frustrating because I'm looking at it just as a, I mean, again, it's kind of similar to to, to Madden. The guy with the higher number gets the job, right? The the, the 84 overall player starts before the 83 overall player because he's better because I don't really care. It's just numbers to me. It's not that way for the Pack. They see upside. They see potential. They see grooming. They want to give him more snaps to potentially get him up to being a better player because they know how good he can be if he meets his full potential. So they're going to push in a lesser player like Josh Jackson over a better player like Chandon Sullivan for that reason. So yes, I did miss Josh Jackson when I was talking about the slot. I was just kind of talking in generalities. It was really a discussion about um, Darnell Savage and his usage in the slot. But yeah, I do think that is that is at least how it's going to start out. And I don't know where we start, if we start in training camp or we start in week one or we start in December. I don't know when this when or how this NFL season starts, but whenever it starts, that I think is going to be their initial 
starting defensive roster. And again, it'll be Josh Jackson's to lose. The question is, will he lose it? And I think there's a case to be made for that. I hope he doesn't, because I do believe in his ceiling, and I, 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 I am still slightly excited about him as a, as a prospect. But anyways, the third what about that I got as a question was, what about Mike Daniels? There's, you know, tweets all over the place. Somebody said, you know, I want you to come back to Green Bay. And he says, hey, it's free agency. Anything can happen. The thing that's missing is that he was actually asked about it before, and he had a different answer. The first time I saw him respond to a request to please come back to Green Bay, he said, and probably somewhat jokingly, but he said something to the effect of, no, I'm too old, and I don't fit the scheme anymore. Now, he might have been saying that tongue-in-cheek, kind of sarcastically, you know, because that's what other people are saying. But the fact of the matter is that's true. (laughs) We didn't cut Mike Daniels so that we could bring him back. There's no way. Our defensive line isn't worse than when we cut him the first time. We knew what we had and got rid of, and Mike Daniels is not better than when we cut him. Mike Daniels is older than last year, kind of goes without saying. He's older, he's expensive, and he's not what Mike Pettin is looking for. Would I like him back personally? Of course. I love Mike Daniels. But it's not about me sitting here talking about what I would do. It's it's more what I like to do is say, what are the Packers going to do? And I'm just trying to read what they're telling. I mean, they, they tell us what they're doing by their action. A little bit by what they te- by what they literally say, but mostly by their action. And when they moved on from Mike Daniels, that told us a lot about the direction they're going, what they want to do, and also just the Packers in general, whereas they don't like expensive, older players that don't fit their scheme, which... I want to. I, I, I hate to leave it at this because this is a big discussion, but something that certain people have been telling me over and over that I've mostly been brushing off that is starting to make more sense to me as a possibility is the idea that David Bakhtiari may not get another contract with the Green Bay Packers. Think about the formula. The Packers do not, first of all, don't like giving third contracts to older offensive linemen. Just in general, they don't do it. But older, extremely expensive, doesn't fit the scheme. Matt LaFleur wants his guys. And if they're willing to draft a quarterback to replace Aaron Rodgers to to more adequately fit his scheme, why do we think they wouldn't draft an offensive tackle that more fits their scheme to replace David Bakhtiari when the time comes? It's almost the exact same discussion that we have with Aaron. But he's, oh, come on, you can't get a guy to, to replace David Bakhtiari. Oh, you're right. And they're not going to cut him. But the point is, when the time comes for another contract, they want to be in a position to say, now nah, we're good. And the further objection, I'm sure, because I was the one making the objection for months before it's starting to sink in that this is a real possibility. Well, it's, I mean, come on, give me a break with scheme. The guy's the best pass-blocking offensive tackle in football. Forget scheme. That's all that matters. Look at the 49ers. Look at the Rams. Look at these teams that employ the Shanahan system. You know what the first thing they almost always do? They go out and get offensive linemen. Think about it. Everything is built off of the run. We went out we got Elton Jenkins, we got Billy Turner. We got offensive linemen very early. We got A.J. Dillon. We're starting at the core. Offensive line, running back, tight ends. Everything is kind of coming into focus. And again, so you got that aspect of it, of seemingly wanting to get away from that style of player toward a different style of offense and different styles of players. And then again, you add in the, we don't like guys that are older, expensive, and don't fit the scheme, and that is David Bakhtiari. Because again, as good as he is as a pass blocker, top five, top ten, whatever you want to say he is, top five is fair, he is consistently one of the lesser talented run blocking tackles in football. And nobody cares, because again, that doesn't matter, but when you're Matt LaFleur, I feel like maybe you kind of care a little bit. 
it's one thing to be really good as a pass blocker and adequate as a run blocker. It's another thing to be really good as a pass blocker and really terrible as a run blocker. And the third or fourth or fifth or whatever we're on thing to consider is, according to PFF, as much stock as you want to put into that, it doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is, Bakhtiari did take a little bit of a half a step back. And, and you, it's, again, everything fits with the Mike Daniels thing. Mike Daniels took a half a step back, and you're like, oh, gee, I hope he rebounds. He's getting older. He's getting expensive. All this stuff, and you think, okay, but they're not going to get rid of him. Of course he's going to stick around. It's not even a question. He's gone. Just food for thought. But anyways, I do have to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow, which is Friday. Have a good one.